You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 276 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Val. How are you going? I'm good. What's been happening in Gina world? I've got the perfect cup of tea. You know how important that is for me. (laughs) Okay, yes, I do know how important your tea is. So I've been uh, doing a lot of editing this week, uh, which always keeps me happy and also love seeing the Goldies getting out there and practicing their lighting and posing techniques. And it makes me happy because I'm drilling into them, Val, that they follow a step-by-step protocol so that they're getting consistent results and nailing the image. And that's what makes me happy. And then, you know giving them that push to go to the next level so they're not just getting too comfortable with, okay, you got that, let's just uh, give them a little nudge. But it's like everyone's at a different level, Val, aren't they? So we've got absolute beginners that are just starting out to um, mid-level to pro to to, to everyone. So everyone needs a specially sort of uh, targeted approach that that deals with what level they're at. So that's what I've been working on this week and loving. Gina is talking about the gold community and that's the awesome group of photographers who have joined our membership and are getting access to Gina's feedback, constructive critiques, tutorials that are done via video, ask me anything. It's um, it's an awesome community. But before we move on to this week's topic, which is get noticed without social media as a photographer with our guest, Daniel Milnor, to find out more about the gold community, have a listen to this. This podcast is brought to you by the gold community. I loved mentoring Christy Hurd, who's been a member of our Gold community. I've always encouraged members to pursue their own passion projects. Christy started taking photos of a Brad Pitt doll to practice her lighting setups, but this escalated into a full-blown passion project as she started to photograph Brad in a variety of different outfits and locations. Ultimately, she created a stunning coffee table book of her images. Putting a book together is something that I've always dreamed of um, and I've actually done it and I'm incredibly proud of it and the feedback that I've got from family and friends and from the community as well, Gina, you know, it's just been amazing Um, and it's opened quite a few doors um, and you never know where it's going to take you. Yeah, I have. um, I've had a couple of people interested in working with me. Um, One of those people is a fashion house in Paris. I know. (laughs) When I'm speaking it, I'm like, really? Um, 
Yeah, so there's there's a fashion house in Paris called uh, Lords and Fools, and they create um, fashion for men and women, which is inspired by um, military. So they they're very regal. They've got a lot of um, you know great looking outfits that they create, and um, they created John Bon Jovi's waistcoat that he's currently wearing on stage. If you'd like to find out more about the Gold community, just go to GinaMilitia.com and click on Join the Community. All right, Gina, so this week it's about Get Noticed Without Social Media with guest Daniel Milner. Tell us what we're in for. Yeah, I love this interview with Daniel, a fantastic guest. So, you know, social media, it's an amazing tool, no doubting it. So, you know, what it's done is it's uh, removed the gatekeeper who, you know, used to control our images. So in the past, a photographer uh, who wanted their work seen needed to get it published in a magazine or have an exhibition or have a book published, right? So now social media means that we can get our work seen by the entire world in a click if we're lucky. Which is great, and I love it. And you know, this podcast is is really uh, all about social media as well. So, so all of the the positives there. But then you're also competing with billions of photos every day, and it's it, it can be a full time job just getting your images out there and staying on top of all your social media galleries. And then when you're trying to you know photograph folio and keep uh, keep your photography up, it's a lot of work, and you just wonder like uh, if you're not doing it right what sort of returns you get so our guest uh daniel milner has some great ideas uh about how to get your work noticed without using social media and it involves like the good old-fashioned technique of printing uh things like brochures and postcards Mm -hmm. and books and it's it's like uh and like making little brochures as business cards and so you can give someone this uh meaningful and authentic uh you know publication with your work and i just think it's a a fantastic idea he's got so many great tips and uh to, to to share with us today so shall we have a listen Absolutely. Let's have a listen to Daniel Milner. Daniel Milner, welcome to the show. How are you going? Uh, everything is going well. Thanks. Uh, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm very excited to chat to you today. Now, before we start, a question I ask all my guests is, where in the world are you? Oh, I am in a wonderful place. I am in a town called Santa Fe, New Mexico which is uh, one of is a, a very unique part of the United States, often a part that's very misunderstood by a bulk of the of the American population. It's a, a very unique culture here, very unique landscape. Um, one of the most interesting places I've ever been in my life. So I'm I'm about 7000 feet up in elevation waiting for our second snow of the year. Oh, really? Already? It's a, a beautiful part of the world. It's a very arty community there, and I, I love the, all the neighborhoods there. Beautiful architecture as well. Fantastic place to live. So you must be um, very happy there being amongst all those creatives as well. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. I was in uh, – my wife and I were in California forever. She mm. was there for 35 years, and I was there for about 25 years. And uh, I was very relieved to sort of move on from California and get out here. It's been a – it's been a wonderful transition, and this place is, is just endlessly fascinating to me. 
Fantastic. Now, uh, I want to talk about your uh, website at uh, Shifter Media. Uh, fantastic. It's um, There's so much great content, but you cover everything. And it's like you've got your own little social media platform there. Everything's long form. Uh, you love to write, I can see. So you've got all your photography there, all your interviews and all your discussions. Fantastic. And probably uh, one of the best bios <laughs> ever read i love it <laughs> well it's funny i appreciate the the compliments it's uh i call it a lifestyle site without the style uh i was not uh, i was not sure entirely what this site was going to be but the entire site came about because about i don't know 10 years ago blurb blurb reached out to me and said do you want to do this specific uh this new sort of content strategy with with bookmakers and they explained to me what it was and i said oh that sounds amazing and I went out and they basically what they were asking me to do was to if I wanted to do in-depth profiles of people who were making books, like really dive into their lives and shoot stills and, and do the writing and everything and combine them into these really in-depth profiles, which for me, having been a photographer for so long and studying journalism, I was like, this is perfect. It was kind of the dream scenario. So I went out and I did the first two profiles. And I came back and brought them to Blurb. And I remember the director of marketing at, at the time kind of looked at me with this puzzled look on her face. And she goes, oh, these are way better than I thought they were going to be. We can't just like willy nilly these out over time. We have to build an entire platform around these profiles. And I, on, the, on one hand, I thought, oh, that's fantastic. But on the other hand, I thought, I don't think we have the bandwidth to actually do that. So I just sat on these things for a while and and blurb. It wasn't really their fault, but they didn't really have the, you know, the, the staff and the time to be able to create a platform. So someone came to me and said, you know, you should build a site. Uh, yourself and just be able to post them in in the meantime and that's how shifter came to be and it's uh, it's snowballed now into all kinds of different things but um, yes you're right I'm, I'm kind of addicted to it I've been doing it for a long time and and uh, yeah I just love it I love that you have so much uh, long form content on there and I think like my biggest issue with social media I have a lot of issues with I have a love hate relationship with social media so I love the fact that you know it allows me to do stuff like you know this podcast and and reach out and uh, teach lots of photographers but the I'm an introvert and, uh, you know, sites like uh, Instagram and Twitter and all of that, they're, they're all real like little, um, it's uh, little sound bites, like tiny amounts of information, whereas I prefer long form. You know, my, my blogs are all long and I like to do long form interviews as well. So, you know, as an introvert, I find social media a bit annoying. It's like this, you know, buzzing fly around there. And you've got some very interesting um, views on social media. Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> yeah, I guess th this is the point in the interview where, where this could go uh, one of a variety of different <laughs> yes, my, my opinions about social media, I guess, run contrary to a lot of what we we hear. And I do love long form. I'm, I'm a reader. I read between 50 and 100 books a year, and I really love long form content. I think it's one of the most important things that you can do as a photographer is to read. Uh, and social for me was was a strange relationship. So I I remember exactly when I heard the word Facebook for the first time. I was in New York City. And I was up for a job with um, an organization that works with the Central Park. 
And I had just met them in New York and the person I was meeting with said to me, such blah, 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 Facebook. And I said, what are are you talking about? What's Facebook? And she told me what it was. I'd never heard of it. And nobody that I knew had heard of it. And I flew home to California and I went online and I downloaded and I basically created an account on Facebook and I started telling all my friends about it. And I was, which is so odd, the fact that I was like the first person in my circles that was on Facebook, seeing now how I feel about all these things. And the same thing happened with Instagram is a friend of mine who had uh, Instagram was very, very new and he'd become very popular on it. He, he texted me and I was walking down the street in San Francisco and he said, Hey, this is an app you should download and try. And I remember exactly where I was in the city when I downloaded it and I opened it up on my phone and I started posting from that second on. And initially I had what I would guess you would call a honeymoon with social media. Mm -hmm. And I, and this was, this was back during what I would describe as sort of the innocent period Mm -hmm. of social. And very quickly, I began to realize that it was changing everything about me, which I think is ultimately the goal of those platforms. But it was changing the way that I saw the world. It was changing the way I thought about myself. It was changing the way I thought about my work. And it started to creep into my mindset in ways that I knew were detrimental to me as a human being. Mm-hmm. And I, I was and the, the breaking point for me was walking down the street. I was in New Mexico working on a long term project and I was in a place called Pie Town, which oddly enough is mostly about pie. <laughs> and uh, I, I was walking down the street and I'd been there for about two hours and I had not made a single photograph the entire time I was posting on Instagram. And I literally st- was standing in the middle of the street and I said, oh, my God, like what's happening to me? And I deleted Instagram on the spot wow. and I said, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And so this was right at the end of the end of the year. And my birthday is in early January. And I woke up on my birthday and I just kind of had this epiphany. I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And now I work in a marketing department at Blurb. So social is a big part of the, of mm. the plan. And so I reached out to the founder of Blurb and the director of marketing, and I said, look, I understand in my position, I'm sort of a public uh, figure when it comes to Blurb, and I know that social is a part of my job. I just don't want to do this anymore, and I'm going to delete all these networks. And my, uh, the founder at the time said, I'm totally fine with that, but do us a favor and write why it is you're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And so I did, and I deleted that day. I deleted seven social networks. And... I literally physically detoxed for about two weeks. And every time I would be in between tasks, my brain would say, go to Instagram or go to Facebook. And I was like, holy cow, this is, I cannot believe how much a part of my, my being this had become. But then after about two weeks, I sort of felt like it's like surfing. You come out of the barrel and you come down the shoulder and out and you're like, oh, and that's what I felt like. Uh, when I came off of social after a couple of weeks is I looked I was able to look back and say wow I kind of feel like I dodged one here um, This was not healthy for me. And so I saw it, you know I think to me the one of the, the parts that was was the most difficult was the fact that it was creeping into my psyche about what people were actually going to think about my work yeah, and uh, And ultimately I don't really care what people think because I don't want that to influence the kind of work that I make Yeah yeah, exactly. So how how did your work change after you deleted all the did you see a change or was it more about how you thought about your work? Well, I think it was a com- combination of the two. So I was able to uh, basically going back to that idea of long form content is I was able to shift away from making things that were immediate to making things that were 
aimed at a, a destination down the road or a yeah. timeline down the road where I could just say, look, I don't necessarily need to share this. And in fact, if I do share this stuff, I think it's going to undermine the actual project itself because, and I'd started to see, to see that even before social, I started blogging in 2002. And uh, again, I didn't know anybody else that was blogging. I had, I'd gone to a technical conference and I heard them, someone use the word blog for the first time. And I was like, what, what's a blog? And I had been writing in a journal my whole life. And so the person who was describing blogs just said to me, look, it's just like your paper journal, but it's online. And so I started to blog and I was like, oh, this is a lot of fun. And so I would do projects. And at the time I was doing really long form projects, like five to 10 years at a pop. And what I realized very quickly was if I went on the blog and I shared three or four images from a story that might have, you know, 50 or 75 images by the time I was done, the response I was getting from people was, oh, I've already seen this. You know, I'm kind of bored with this already. What else do you have? And I was like, whoa, they've only seen three images, but they're kind of acting as if they've seen the whole project. And I thought, oh, this is a this is a very uh, precarious kind of situation that I need to be be mindful of because I don't want this project to be undermined by too much sharing in the short term. And I think social is like crying wolf all day long where you're basically with the social media, you're after attention, right? Mm -hmm. That's what you're at is, is attention. And I think if you're asking for it all day, every day, it's really hard to then ask people to stop and give you undivided attention at some point. Right. So if you're an artist and I can, I can see what you're saying and it, and it is a very uh, crowded, incredibly crowded market in those uh, social platforms and then it's owned by someone else. So it's like who the, the, the amount of people that, that see your work is also controlled by the platform, you know, and you can see that, you know, Instagram initially, if you had 100 followers and you posted an image, then the, the entire 100 followers saw that. But, but now it's like it's down to 1% or 3% or whatever the algorithm is. So it, it becomes more and more difficult to get your work seen. And what I love about what you've done with your website is here's this space that you've created where, you know, someone who doesn't know you can go and visit that and they can see your photography. They can also see all your thoughts on photography and uh, what you're doing. So to me, when I look at your website, it looks like a social media site right? But you own it. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't think there's any gray area remaining in, in the idea of who these, co these companies are and they do not. I mean, if you take Facebook, for example, in my opinion, they do not have our best interest at heart as a, as a society, as a species, you know, et cetera. There's not a week that goes by here in the U S that they are not under fire for doing something, you know, less than savory in regards to the platform. And it's, you know, these, all of these platforms were designed with addiction teams, right? So they all have teams that were designing the platforms to be the most invasive as they could possibly be because the more that you're on them, the more data is available for them to buy and sell or to trade or however you want to look at that. And so mm -hmm. I don't think they have your best interest at heart. And here's my, here's the other point, which is something that you brought up that I think is really intelligent, which is at some point, Instagram and Facebook are going to go away yeah. as we know. Yeah. And, and then you have to say to yourself, OK, well, what's next? And then do I have to invest my entire life in what's next as like whatever the next Facebook or Instagram is? I think it's crazy. I mean, the web is out there. Anybody can build their own platform. And you're, when, when you have your own website, and if you have something like even something as simple as an email newsletter, 
you're able to build an actual legitimate base of people who will engage with your work at a far more in-depth level than they will on social. And so for me, it was like casting a net across the entire open ocean with social. And I didn't want to do that. I'd rather stay in a, in a small canal somewhere and just work, work with people in more in-depth conversation. Yeah. And I mean, the, the reality is if you're a photographer, even say if you're a, uh, you shoot, uh, weddings and portraits, uh, and you know, you live in a, a small town somewhere, then basically you don't need the whole world to know who you are. You just need that community that are going to recommend you to your friends. And I, I still believe, uh, wrongly or rightly that, that word of mouth, um, is the best way to get work uh, a, a, as, as a photographer. People, you've worked with someone and they'll recommend you to someone else. And so, and then that person that, that they say, oh, you know, go check out Daniel's work. So they'll, he, here's his website. So they'll go to the site and in one spot, everything's there. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because in, and so I got a degree in photojournalism and I graduated from, uh, from university of Texas in Austin in 1992. And then I worked as a photojournalist until, uh, 1997. And in 1997, I, uh, I was like burned out. That's when I quit photography the first time. And I, I basically got a job for Eastman Kodak Company. And that was the first time that I was able to get into studios all over the Western US and kind of see how other photographers were working. And it really taught me a lot. Mm. But I went back to photography based on a recommendation from another photographer who said to me, you know, you should be shooting weddings. And I said, I go, I was kind of, you know, insulted almost at the time. I said, I'm a photojournalist, you know, I don't shoot weddings. And she go, she said, no, you don't understand you know, you can make X amount of money shooting weddings with your Leica and some Tri-X. And I said, there's no way that that's possible. And she goes, oh yeah, it is. And I'll help you book the jobs and blah, blah, blah. And that's what got me back into photography. And I became a wedding photographer. Really? Oh yeah. And you know, it's kind of like a part of my career that is, is sort of, um, you know, under the radar, but I, it was before the wedding bubble in the United States. So the industry had not become this crazy machine that it became a few years later. I was very fortunate on the timing. And so sure enough, I went out and I started doing these weddings and my strategy for weddings was very simple. I had a planner in Hawaii. I had a planner in Palm Springs. I had a planner in LA and a planner in Santa Barbara. And these are people that are wedding planners when I yeah. say planner. And I just told them, I said, look, this is who I am. This is what I do. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to morph. I'm not going to do what everybody else is doing. And, uh, and I will always say no to a client if there's even one red flag. And so the planners knew that they would basically do the screening for me. And uh, the funny part was all of them would, would occasionally drop sort of the same description of me, which was, oh, he's the weird wedding photographer. <laughs> right. And so they would, they would only send the clients that they didn't really know what to do with. And oddly enough, those were the people who fit with me really well. And we got along really well. So my goal was to shoot eight to 10 jobs a year total. And, but only work with the people that I really wanted. I didn't need social. I didn't need a mailing list. I didn't need anything. All I needed were four human beings who had the respect of the clients to filter clients for me. And it worked really well for, for many years. 
Fantastic. So there are ways to do this without relying on like, because we're led to believe that, you know, social media is the only way to uh, make it as a photographer. You need to have this site, that site. But there are better ways. And and I think that there there is less competition in these alternatives. And like you just gave a really great example about like, you know, a wedding photographer, connect with wedding planners. Like, get in your car, set up a meeting and, and go see them and, and show them a folio in a physical form, you know, not on an iPad, which again, you're going to stand out from every other photographer that's just uh, emailing a link to a website, right? Oh, it's, um, there's, there's something that happens to me three or four times a year and it absolutely pains me every time it happens, which is I'll be at a photo festival or an event or a big photo gathering and I'm, I'll attend like a panel of people talking about the industry and it could be agents, it could be editors, it could be art buyers or whatever. And they'll, someone will inevitably say, quote, everyone in this room needs a Facebook account or everyone in this room needs to be on Instagram. And that is just so horrible for me to hear because after all, photographers are a small part of what's called the creative industry. And the public in general gives you liberty and gives you license when you are a member of the creative industry, right? So, and this is something I've been thinking a lot about as of late. When we go to school, a lot of times in the, in the U.S., like we're cutting our school systems, cutting back on arts, teaching art and, uh, you know, things like that. And so oftentimes people will say to me, oh, you're a photographer. Oh, I wish I could do that, but I'm not creative. And my, my response is always, yes, you are. Mm. Everyone is creative, but it might have been taught out of you or threatened out of you or worked out of you, but you're, you're creative. And so if all of us in the creative industry are doing the exact same thing, how ridiculous is that? It should not be that way at all. And yet it is. And for whatever reason, these, these platforms and and sort of the traditional channels of power in the industry have sort of forced people all into the same funnel. And it's so frustrating because I, I do not believe that you need to do this. I think what you need to do, if you're looking to establish and sustain a multi-decade career, what you need to do is learn how to make unique work. Mm. That is the first and foremost priority. And that is not an easy task, especially if you're spending all day looking at what's already been done. And yes. so- Yes. You spend your life looking at what's on Instagram and you, what you're looking at, in my opinion, is you're not looking at photography, you're looking at content. And there's a big difference between content and photography. And every decade, every generation, there are a grand total of a few people worldwide who really change the conversation, who really add something so unique and so new that everyone else stops and goes, wow, I've never seen that before. As a creative, that is the goal, is to be the original thinker. And that's really difficult, and it often does not happen if you're looking at, at content all day long. Exactly. Yeah, I, I agree 100% on that. All right, so the problem is when you're starting out in photography, you don't know what you don't know, okay? So, mm -hmm. like, you'll innocently go, all right, well, I'm going to go to this great website, Instagram, and I'm going to be inspired by the images that I see on there because to your eye, you're seeing something new and unique and, you know, you might be inspired by those images and you might see that, uh, well, everyone's doing uh, a particular shot in the forest with a blurred background and uh, like a warming filter and, uh, you know, 
autumn leaf overlays and things like that because that's what everybody's doing. That's what's popular. That's what I need to do to be recognized to be good. So where does a new photographer that's starting out, where are they going to find um, uh, images to um, look at to maybe be inspired by to start to develop their own style? How do you do that? What, what are the alternative suggestions then? Well, I think there's a big difference between good and popular. Yeah, and I Instagram, agree. Instagram is key for popular images. And, yep. you know, I, I ran into this kid once who was driving around the Southwest, and he was basically going around and copying all the popular images that he'd seen on Instagram. Yep. And I said, I said, don't you find that a bit peculiar? They've already been done. Why would you want to do that? And his, no, his number one driving thought about being a good photographer was his the his count of Instagram followers. Hmm. And I thought, wow, that's that's, you know, it's so odd to me in so many ways because obviously my background was very different from that. I grew up without having any of these tools. So, in uh, one part of me was very understanding and the other part was like, wow, this is interesting. So, I don't necessarily look at photography to find my inspiration. Um, I very, very rarely ever look at photography online. I just don't like the experience. I never have, even though people have said, oh, that's, you know, that's the future and blah, blah, blah. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think what I like to do is a couple of things. One, I mentioned this before, is most, the vast majority of projects that I do and the vast majority of inspiration come from things outside of photography. Mm -hmm. I, I typically read somewhere between 50 and 100 books a year. And I think that that is the number one area that I come up with inspiration. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, I'm reading a book right now about the origins of the space program in America. But those origins have connections to um, Germany and Russia and all, you know, many other places around the world. And so in the first 10 pages of this book, I was my, my, basically my head was peeled back in regards to, wow, I had no idea that these things actually happened. And then realizing that a lot of these things are tied to New Mexico and actually, and six years ago, this seems seemingly what I'm going to say is totally unrelated, but it's not, I got Lyme disease six years ago. Mm. And in this book about the space program is mention of a military program that happened after World War II that actually has connections to Lyme disease. And I did not know that there were connections to the space program with the same military operation that happened after World War II that impacted the space program also impacted Lyme disease. Wow. So just in the first 10 pages of this book, I have project ideas flying through my head like, yeah. wow. I had no idea. The other thing is, you know, I'm within a 10 minute walk of some really remarkable museums. Yeah. Um, and I'm also within a five minute drive of a place called Photo Eye, which is one of the best, if not the best illustrated photo book store in the entire United States. And I love looking at books yeah. because the thought process, the money, the time and the skill involved for a publisher to put an illustrated book into print is remarkable. It is so far beyond anything that you will see online that when when someone has taken the effort, and there are a myriad of really wonderful publishers out there, and Australia has a bunch of them as well, uh, looking at, at, at traditionally published photo books is a really smart way of getting inspiration, not just for photography, but for design and editing and sequencing help. Fantastic. You've got this... Um thing that you do when you're traveling and you 
like you, you'll do, uh, you'll take yourself uh, away overseas or to another part of the, the country and you'll do a personal project. And you talk about the fact that while each day, at the end of the day, you'll be laying out a book of that personal project. I love this idea so much. And then by the time you get home, it's pretty much laid out and you can press uh, uh, send and uh, in a few days you've got a book in your hand of that personal project. Do you want to talk to us about that? Yeah, I actually absolutely love that. And it's funny you mention it because right before we started this thing, I was on my cleaning out my Dropbox folder and I saw a folder in there uh, about Albania, which is my last foreign trip was to go to Albania a few months ago. And uh, and I did exactly what we're talking about. So um, I, I do love this. There's only one wrinkle here. If you're a film shooter, it can be a little bit slower. This process can be a little bit slower, but I still have some workarounds if, if that's of interest. But I like to, um, I sort of transitioned from, from film to digital a couple of years ago. I actually transitioned to digital very early on back in the late nineties. I was a full-time digital photographer again, like before any of my friends back yeah. when people were warning me that it would never work. It's kind of never thing. work. Yeah. It's rubbish. It's can't yeah. be any it, good like, yet. Me too. Yeah. They're like, oh, this is a fad. It's going to go away. And I, <laughs> it's not like I was Mr. Technology. I had just worked for Kodak and I was familiar with the cameras. And so when I went out on my own, I was like, okay, I know how to use these, but very, very within a couple of years, I was really burned out and went back to film. I love film. I hardly ever shoot it anymore only because of logistics in yeah. terms of shipping and scanning and all that. But when I'm on a trip, whether I'm doing a project here in the States or I'm, I'm traveling like I did to Albania, I love, I, I make a book in real time. And at the end of every day, I make an edit, I make a sequence, and I throw those into a software called BookRite. And BookRite has something, a little button inside the software called Manage Pages. And I know that's specific, but Manage Pages shows you your entire layout of the entire publication and allows you to drag and drop your spreads. So you're basically sequencing in real time. I love because that. It's like um, when I saw that, like I saw one of your videos where you were uh, walking us through that. And what yeah. that reminded me of is when you walk into a um, – uh, into a magazine where, you know, in, in, in where, where they do the production there, what they do is when they're laying out the magazine, they have all the pages up on a wall. And yep. every day, you know, if it's a, a monthly publication or even a weekly publication, what, what they do is they'll start with, okay, here's what the magazine's going to look like. And there's a lot of gaps there, but they'll have the stories that are already created. And then the editor will go and uh, move pages. No, let's change this one. Let's change that photo. And you can see the entire uh, publication at a glance on, on one big wall. And so what you're saying is you can do that with this publication, but you're looking at it on on your laptop or you know whatever yep. device you're using fantastic now i was actually a part of a workshop in albania and what i could have done but didn't do and i'm not really entirely sure why i didn't do this is that i can also hook the projector up to my laptop and i can project it on the wall to see it even larger and then as a group you can sit there and like i could have gone in front of the group and said this is kind of what i'm thinking and you know what do people think about spreads or my sequencing etc and so it's a nice tool because here's the reality is my i work full-time for blurb i'm also involved in a couple of different collaborations that are tied to blurb in some ways and in some ways they're tied to me personally um, I have a new collaboration with a clothing brand out of Seattle called Beyond. We're, we're doing a twice a year zine that's been very interesting to put together. The point is my life is very, very busy. I don't have a ton of time. Yeah. So if I had waited 
to come back from Albania to look it through everything I did and then try to make a master edit and a master sequence and try to do this, I probably would not have, I could have done it because I've done it a million times before, but it's very challenging and it's hard. And I, I would always kind of feel like, wow, I'm shortchanging myself because I don't have the time to do this. And so what I realized was it did not take a whole lot of time. I'm not somebody who shoots 20 or 30,000 pictures on a trip like that. I use a digital camera very much like I use a film camera. So at the end of the day, it's relatively easy to go back and say, I know these are the five or six best images I made for the day. How do they fit in overall? And literally within 30 to 45 minutes, you've, you've completed your task for the day. So when I get back, I mean, I can even do it before I leave Albania. I can upload the book and, and hit print. So a week later, I've got, in this case, a magazine on my doorstep. Fantastic. And and how, it's like it's super easy because you think, oh, my God, I've got to lay it out. I've got to work out what the borders are going to be. But you've got templates at Blurb and all the other, uh, you know, online bookmaking companies are the same. You can download a template and basically it's like it's almost a drag and drop and you add your text and, and away you go. So I think it's just all like I'm really excited for my next trip now, Daniel, because I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to create a book. Um, so I, I can't can't wait to do that. Now, the learning process uh, from doing this sort of work is what really interests me. So when you're, say, you're day two uh, of your trip and you've laid out the pages, are you, is it teaching you to say, okay, uh, there's, a, there's a gap here, I need, I need a different image for this shot. So will you go out and actively look for that shot? How is it changing you as a photographer, how you're seeing things and what you're shooting when you've got a book in mind? So a book is, it's a great question. A book is very different from a portfolio. And so, and that's a point that people really need to think about. A portfolio is a collection of your best images that may or may not tell a story. Mm. A book or a magazine or something that has an, a narrative arc, that is there to tell a story. So if you put your 10 best images from Albania in a, in a quote book, that may not tell a story at all. Your audience may be three pages in and say, I have no idea what I'm looking at. And so you have to look for different styles of imagery that may be things like informational images, transitional images, or images that work simply as a background for a page of copy. Those are kind of things. And so you don't want to get too bogged down in focusing on a publication. You want to react to what's in front of you. But one of the things that I did before I went on the trip was I do my research before I go. And I found this is a very sensitive topic with people. I think a lot of times people are in, in such a hurry to get famous or get known that they don't do any research because they're afraid what they're going to find. And they're, they're afraid that they might find that someone's already been there, that someone's already done a similar story. And that is completely okay. Mm -hmm. If you're going to do a project, it's, it's about building on what's already been done, giving your personal fingerprint to something. So I didn't really know a whole lot about Albania. And what I did was I did a little bit of research before I went about the history of the country. And I realized that, okay, there's a 40-year isolation period, 28 with the Russians and 12 with the Chinese. And they were completely isolated from the outside world. And so I de devised a technique that I thought would represent both that period in Albania's history and the new period in Albania's history, which is what I was going to witness in person. Mm -hmm. And so the technique that I had, I had devised was double exposures, and I had never done these before. And so I came up with a technique before I left the, the U.S., before I even went to Albania, and I thought, okay, here's my plan. 
Um, the problem was I got there and I realized that the technique that I, I basically tried to figure out wasn't going to work. So I had to change it when I got there, but I came up with something and I thought, okay, this is it. I've got it. And so I built every day I would build it because I had that technique in mind which allowed me to create a very specific style of image that, that basically allowed me to build a body of pictures in a very short amount of time. And with the magazine, I was also shooting what I would call periphery imagery that I, would, I knew that I would use as design elements inside the magazine. So my primary focus were, were the double exposures. And then my secondary focus was, okay, I need images to help tell this story. They could be transitional, they could be informational, or they could just be design elements. Fantastic. I, I love that. I, I can't wait to do this. And I mean, you don't necessarily need to go to Albania to create this sort of project. It could be like uh, doing a, a photo essay about your community or, or, or someone that works in your community. So there is a billion different ways you could uh, approach this. So when when you're um, working on these uh, um these little books that they're, they're like they're almost like you, you've got there's there's so many different options uh with uh, online printing now and then you can have um magazines you can have little mini books you can have little brochures uh there's also you had a fantastic idea for an alternative to a business card now not many people have business cards anymore they'll just flick you their um you know um email address or something like that and everything's there but i love your idea about the the uh business card as a book do you want to talk to us about that yeah, so I, um, I, the one in particular that I was mentioning was a company called MagCloud, and MagCloud makes something called the Digest, which is a five and a quarter by eight and a quarter. You can either do landscape format or, or portrait format. I typically do landscape. And these are incredibly inexpensive, and the printing is beautiful. And one thing I love about a company like MagCloud or a device like MagCloud is that there are not a lot of choices. And on the surface, you may go, oh, well, that's like a bummer. I don't have seven kinds of paper to choose from and three different cover types. I think oftentimes when there's too many choices, it stifles people and they end up not making anything. So MagCloud, you got one paper type and you got one cover type, so you don't have to think about it. Fantastic. And so what I realized years ago was, um, you know, I work full time for Blur. Most of my friends around the world are photographers, um, which is both, which is kind of a love hate relationship. I love photographers, but then also they sometimes they really frustrate me. <laughs> and so I got frustrated because my photographer friends would often find reasons to not print. You know, they, they would come up with all kinds of crazy reasons why they didn't want to print. And I'm like, geez, I should just start doing this myself. And then I'll basically shame them into printing, you know, in some weird way. And they're good. And so I, I can do that. So anyway, I, I was working as a photographer. Then I stopped working as a photographer full time. But I also still had the desire to do projects. And what I realized was when I would go into the field in 20, let's say 17, 2018, it was very different than going in the field in 1999. Because in 1999, there was when you walked into the field and you had a press credential and a camera, that was a permission slip to go anywhere, do anything. People would open their homes to me. They would open their lives to me. You couldn't believe it. And by 2017, 2018, that was not happening. People were very suspicious. They would say, oh, you're here trying to make us look bad, et cetera, et cetera. Even when I'm doing projects that are you know, light, what I would call fluffy kind of projects, people mm. were always kind of like, who are you? What are you doing here? And what I realized was they were not going to go to my website. 
they were not going to, you know, go to my social media channels when I had them. But if I had something with me that was printed, that showed who I was, not just my photography, but talked about many more other things, it was like a visual business card. It would cut through the noise and it was a, it was basically a, a evidence. It was testimony as to who I was as a photographer, that I was not somebody that was playing around, that I was there to do a project that I was, I was serious about interested in. And Oh, by the way, this is me. And they were the, the one that I have is about 50 pages long, which is a lot, but it's about 50 pages. It's small, it's light. And I basically carry a stack of those with me. And when I find someone in the field that I think is someone I really want to work with, or someone I like and respect that I think we would have a good simpatico relationship in terms of photographer versus, you know, photographing someone or gaining access. I give them this as a business card and say, this is who I am. And it, it works. It absolutely works wonders. It's almost for most people that I'm giving these to, it's almost a sense of relief because they don't have to ask questions. They just look and they can see what I've done and what my work is about. And they can say yes or no. Uh, and 99% of the time after seeing that business card, they'll say, I get it. I understand, you know, I don't want to be photographed, but I know someone who does, or I can connect you with someone. And so it's just a really wonderful thing to have as a documentary photographer. Fantastic. It's wonderful for any style of photography. I can see it working on all levels, you know, portrait uh, and commercial, because what what tends to happen is, you know, as photographers, we should have our, our little elevator pitch ready when we meet someone, you know, and uh, explain why we love photography so much. And then, hey, here, let me show photos. And so uh, if you're organized uh, you do, and you don't have this sort of brochure on you, you might have a folder on your phone which has uh, your folio on it. And, and that's what I recommend that uh, to my, a lot of my students that you have something that you can show if you ever get asked because it'll usually be at a time when you least expect it. So at least be prepared. But, but what generally happens is in the moment you're kind of flustered and you're a bit excited and, and it's, so you go into your phone and it's like, okay, so here's my folio, uh, go, go to the right. No, 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 no. Oh, that's me. That's a selfie of me. No, sorry, not, no, not that one wait, 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 oh, hang on, I, I'm not online. And it turns into a, <laughs> you know, a complete balls up. So when you've got this brochure, you couldn't get any more professional than going, here, this explains everything I do. Here's all my work. Here you go. And they're like seven bucks. Is that right? To print something yeah. like that? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the eight page version of what I did, I think is a dollar 20. And so I did, a, I did a 50 page and you know, eight pages is plenty. I did a 50 page because it has my some of my writing. It has my portraiture. It has my documentary. It has some book things, etc. So I was trying to highlight a bunch of different things. But I tell you, a couple of times, you know, I think uh, it actually saved me from getting arrested once. I I did a project on. I was doing this sort of weird art project about planes landing. And uh, every time I would go out to shoot it, someone would call the police because right, you know yeah. I'm sitting there camera and they would come and you know I totally get that and I'm glad that the police came and were investigating most of the time they were not exactly the nicest people in the world and one time a guy showed up and he was just so bent on arresting me for you know doing this and I I had the book and I pulled the book out and he said you know he kept asking what I was doing what I was doing and I was trying to explain it but you know photography documentary photography 
to a lot of people doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, who's paying you to be out here? Nobody. How are you making money from this? I'm not, (laughs) you know, I'm losing money. And they go, none of that makes sense. You know, I'm going to arrest you. And so when he kept asking, I finally just handed him this thing and said, here, this is the project. And I remember he, he looked at it. He never said a word, but he flipped through every single page and he took it and he threw it on the hood of my car and he turned around and walked away and got in his car and, and drove off. Wow. And I was, okay, so it works. But it's just, again, I think in some ways it's a relief because people, it, it allows them to very quickly assess that you have purpose, you know, that you're not a bystander, that you're not someone who's just flipping through somewhere, that you are there for a purpose, whether they agree with that purpose or not is another matter, but they're like, oh, okay, he has intent. He's here doing this, blah, blah, blah. And it's really fun because ultimately what print does is it forces you to think about your work. And this, I'm telling you, this terrifies people because imagine if you did go to Albania or you went to Perth and you went up through the the Western Australia and you did a project and you came back with, let's say, 10,000 images. And all of a sudden I come to you and I say, okay, show me the 10 best images and show me the single most important image of the, of the trip, a lot of people will answer by saying that's impossible. And for older photographers and people, you know, we spent so much time editing, we kind of go, no, that's like the bar, the barrier for entry is you got to edit this down. You know, a guy wrote me today online and said, I have 13,000 pictures from a project. I edited to 2,500 but then I know I have 80 that are, are the most important. And I wrote him back and I said, you're on the right path. That's what this is about. You know, 80 is a great place to be from 13,000. That is a really amazing, uh, ability to be able to do that. And so when you think to yourself, wow, okay, now I'm going to go to print. Do I even have space for 80 images? I mean, when's the last time you looked at 80 pictures in a row in a publication? So you think, okay, well maybe I need to get this down to 50 or 35 and it's challenging. And so people can sometimes get kind of freaked out by it and say, well, I can't, I don't want to print anything because I can't make those decisions. And for anybody out there who feels that way, first of all, it's totally natural to feel that way. It can feel daunting and overwhelming, but don't sweat it. It doesn't matter who you are. Every single photographer goes through the same experience and it's hard. Editing is the same kind of skill set that photography is. So if you trained yourself to be a photographer, you have to spend equal time training yourself to be an editor. And, um, and, and after all, we do have an entire subset of human beings roaming the planet that are known as picture editors. That's all they do full time is edit pictures. So you can also reach out and, uh, and hire one of those. Yeah. And so, all right. So advice to like, let, let's say there's, uh, you know, photographers out there that are, that, that are interested in, in, um, dipping their toe in the, the, this, and printing a book, what would you recommend? What would be a good way to start? And what are some suggestions? Oh, I've got a bunch for you. So the first thing is to forget about making something perfect. This is something I've heard thousands of times over the last decade, which is I'm afraid I'm, you know, it has to be perfect. First of all, that is unfair to put yourself under that kind of pressure. And secondly, I don't know what a perfect publication is. I don't think I've ever seen one. And if I did see one, it potentially could be very boring. You're not after perfection. That's number one. Number two is that give yourself a break and start small. Don't make your be all end all opus midlife career retrospective in 1113 hardcover that costs you 200 bucks a copy. Forget about it. 
So what I like to use is I love the expression and you know, this expression, we all do the, you know, the, the, the term burner phone. Yeah. You know, yeah. Some, a, spy, a spy has a burner phone and he uses it once and throws it away. Yeah. So I think making a burner publication is a really smart thing. And I, love I don't that. Mean, I love that. You're not going to throw it away. What you're going to do is you're going to take, you're going to make, let's say a magazine, right? Yeah. Which is eight by 11. It's a nice big size, but it's soft cover, inexpensive. And what you'll do is you'll take the first five pages and you'll run your black and white imagery. And then you'll take the next five pages and run color. And then the next five pages, you'll experiment with, with type. You'll run, you'll, you'll just write a paragraph and you'll print it in nine point, 10 point, 12 point, 20 point. And then you'll use all the different tool sets that the software allow you to use and you'll experiment. And what you're doing is you're making a roadmap for all your future publications, because here's what happens. Let's say that, let's say that Mary wants to make a book and Mary's never made a book before. She's an amazing photographer, um, doesn't have a lot of design background. And by the way, I could be Mary cause that describes me to a T like I'm a decent photographer, but I have no background in, in design. Yeah. And so I decide, okay, I've, I've done this project. It's a, I've spent a ton of time on it and I'm making a publication. It has to be perfect. And I've never in my life done anything with typography. And so I look at the drop down menus and the, and the font size and I go, well, I don't know, 12, I guess 12 will work. And then I spend all this time and I do this publication and five seconds after I open the box, I realize that 12 point font was way too big. Right. And now my entire feeling about the book and the project and the experience is soured because I made a mistake about typography. Now a designer could have told you that in 10 seconds, you might want to look at a different font size, but again, photographers might not be designers. So that burner publication, is really a, a, a relief valve for all the pressure that we put on ourselves to build something perfect. And so, and it's not expensive and you're only printing one copy and then you get it and you go, Oh, I, I was going to use 12 and I look now and nine is definitely the font size that I want. And so, and Oh, by the way, I need to, I need to tweak my black and white imagery because I don't like the way it's printing. You know, all these things that you're, you're just taking the pressure off yourself, making a single copy and then go and try to make, um, make something you know better. And the third part that I want to say very quickly is collaborate. Work with other people. If you're not strong in design, work with a designer. If you don't, if you're if you love to write but you're not, your grammar spelling and punctuation is not great. Hire a copy editor. And so just figure out what you're good at, what you might need work on, and then reach out. And then also just reach out with other creatives. I mean, I've done collaborations with Australian um, designers and photographers that I absolutely love who are far more talented than I will ever be. That's fantastic advice. I'm so excited. I can't wait to um, get my own book made. This has been amazing, uh, Daniel. I could talk to you all day. Uh, I definitely would love to have you back on the show. We've got uh, so much more to talk about. Um, where can people find you? The easiest place to find me is shifter.media. Fantastic. That's, all right. that's a hub for me. I just started making my first foray into the YouTube world. I do have a YouTube channel, but I'm posting most of the films to a friend of mine's channel who's far more established in the uh, photography world, uh, in the YouTube world. And so, uh, but Shifter Media is sort of the hub of where, where most of my stuff ends up. 
All right, so I'll put a link in the show notes to um, – so you've got there's, – there's a whole playlist uh, on YouTube uh, well worth watching uh, and I'll, I'll put a link uh, in the show notes to, to all those sites that you've uh, mentioned today. So, uh, Daniel, thanks again for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. There you go. Great interview with Daniel. Now, I love Daniel's bio, which, of course, you can find in the show notes. But you can also check him out at uh, shifter.media. That's shifter.media. Fantastic But Daniel <laughs> once worked as both a fragrance model and a hot tub installer. Fantastic. It's a good combination, <laughs> so isn't it? He would have smelled eclectic, nice. Eclectic. Yeah, eclectic background. But now is a photographer and writer. And also he is the creative evangelist for Blurb. Now, for those of you who don't know Blurb, I'm sure most of you do, it's an independent publishing platform. You can upload your photos and create these awesome coffee table books. You can do hardcover. You can do softcover. It doesn't have to be a coffee table book. You can do a like a paperback if you want as well. Yeah, magazines, for, brochures, yeah, everything. Yeah, but obviously for photographers, it's a coffee table style books that you can do either as a coffee table book, you know, a hefty one, or you can do booklets, you know, yeah. small, smaller ones. So um, check out Blurb as well and um, make sure you find out a bit more about Daniel over at shifter.media. And all those links of all the sites and check out his YouTube channel. I've put them all in the show notes. He's got uh, some great stuff to say, well worth following. I, I, I Yeah, I really right, enjoyed fantastic. that interview. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, we're almost at the end of this week's episode, Gina. Where do we find you online? You can find me at ginamilitia.com, so that's G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. I'm on all social media at Gina Militia, and if you'd like to be mentored by me, then check out the Goal Community. Just head to ginamilitia.com and click on Join the Community. And you can find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. But you can hang out with all of the podcast listeners to this podcast over on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. It's free to join and there are people from all walks of life, from all over the world, and it's so great to see what you're all up to in terms of your photography. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit ginamilitia.com.